the latter half of Revelation chapter 7, we see a great multitude suddenly appear in heaven. And it's an uncountable number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It tells you about the scope of the reach of the gospel and that God's people are everywhere. They appear in heaven in this incredible scene in Revelation 7. We're going to study the great multitude in Revelation 7 today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. You can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part four of Revelation 7, the 144,000 and the Great Multitude. So last time we were together, we looked at a message called the 144,000 and the Great Multitude. And my intention was to get through Revelation 7. And of course, we didn't make it. I know you were all shocked. You thought, for sure, he'll probably just, he'll probably, you know, get through in chapter 10. Yeah, right. Anyway, so we looked at the 144,000. One thing we determined with, uh, I think, great uh, definitiveness is that the 144,000 are not Jehovah's Witnesses. So just so you all know that. We determined that the 144,000 that's up on the screen behind me are Jewish people. It's not hard to figure it out because it says there are 12,000 from this tribe and that tribe. But the key that, to our understanding of what's happening here is that they're sealed. And they're sealed between the sixth and seventh seals. Now there's a, a difference between the seals I'm talking about. So we have been looking at what is called the seven seals of the book of Revelation. And so far, we've moved through six of them. And there is an interlude or a space or a chapter between the breaking of the sixth seal and the breaking of the seventh seal. That interlude or in-between between the breaking of the sixth and seventh seals is Revelation chapter seven. And there are two things that happen in Revelation seven that we just need to understand. They're not hard for us to track one is, there's 144,000 people that are sealed. We determine that the seal is primarily for ownership and protection. And then there's a great multitude that appears in heaven. And they are distinct from the 144,000. So some commentators would say that the 144,000 are Jews, and that's clear. And the great multitude are all Gentiles. Somebody asked me at the end of last week's study, could the great multitude, since it does say they're from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, include Jewish people? And I would say that's possible. The church is certainly made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so this is where we are in the text right now. Now, just to backtrack, if you're new to this study and you've just come recently, as we've moved through the seven seals, or at least six of the seven seals, here's what we discovered there's a symmetry between Jesus's Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. You also find it in Mark 13 and Luke 21. And a symmetry with Revelation 6. And when we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are the first four seals uh, recorded in Revelation 6, we saw Antichrist, war, famine, and pestilence. And then we saw death and death that writer needs no emblem. And we, we concluded that 
really the first, uh, these first four writers, death is kind of the combination of all of them. When we got to the fifth seal, if you take a look for a second, the fifth seal is found in Revelation 6, 9. When Jesus broke that seal, we saw martyrs underneath the altar. Now, when we looked at Jesus's Olivet Discourse teaching in Matthew 24, we're not going to go back there tonight. Here's what Jesus said. He talked about false Christs and false prophets. He talked about war, famine, and pestilence. And then he said, you will see a sign. And I believe that this is the marker that catapults or begins or signals the great tribulation. You will see the, what uh, Daniel the prophet spoke of, and he called it the abomination of, remember, desolation. That's in Matthew 24, 15. And after Jesus takes us through false Christ, war, famine, pestilence, and so forth, and martyrdom, he talks about this abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. And then Matthew says, let the reader understand. And when this abomination of desolation standing in the holy place is mentioned, Jesus then says, let those who are in Judea do what? Flee to the mountains. Let people, don't even go back to get your coat because there's going to be a time of great tribulation. Jesus goes on to say, unless those days of tribulation were cut short, literally the Greek word could be amputated, no flesh would survive. Now, if you look at the symmetry between Revelation 6 and Matthew 24, and you move down the seals, and you see what Jesus said, basically what you have is you have this Antichrist appearing, calling himself God, and sparking what we would call the Great Tribulation. And, and Jesus says, when you see that, get out of town. And in the first century, I think it's Eusebius said, there were a group of believers when Jerusalem was being uh, threatened and then finally sacked by the Romans. There were a group of people who were aware of Jesus' teaching and they got out of Jerusalem at that time. They fled to the mountains and they survived. And anybody who was left in Jerusalem at that time, if you've ever read accounts from Josephus about the fall of Jerusalem, uh, the content is absolutely hard to take. In fact, Josephus says there were people on crosses all over the landscape. Everywhere you could see, somebody was on a cross dying. The Romans, as a tactic of war, starved the people out so that Josephus says that parents began to eat their children. It was absolute brutality. The numbers vary, but something like a million Jewish people died during that raid. Now, there are some New Testament scholars who believe that the fall of Jerusalem is the, what the book of Revelation is talking about. There's no future fulfillment that's what it's talking about. I do not hold that view. But I do believe that the Bible, many times with prophetic utterances, gives us multiple layers of fulfillment. I'll give you an example. In the book of Joel, the day of the Lord is the, the major theme of the book of Joel. And there's a locust invasion that Joel re records that happened back in antiquity, back in the day. However, that locust invasion and the damage done by those locusts was a foreshadowing of the ultimate 
day of the Lord. I believe the fall of Jerusalem is another foreshadowing of the ultimate day of the Lord. And I think that one marker of all the things that we could, you know, contemplate as we consider prophecy and eschatology, the study of the end times, is that Jerusalem is now in control of the Jewish people. In fact, there's a debate right now in our own government as to whether or not Jerusalem should be the capital and, uh, and so forth. So, uh, and where our, um, I keep, I always forget the name of that place, where our embassy should be. Thank you. So that's going on in the world right now. That happened in 1967, by the way. So those of you who, you know, were born around that time or before or a little bit after, you can see how recent that is. That's what, 50 years ago. So that's in our immediate past. So we look at that, we watch that, and we, we take note of what's going on. Now, between the, if you notice at the end of chapter six, just to catch us up, remember that the sixth seal is broken, the sign of the day of the Lord, and again, I don't think stars are literally gonna fall to the ground. That was another question that we discussed up here in the front. I think that these are, um, this is, I take this as the natural lights are gonna go out, but some of this is symbolic language. But notice the sixth seal is broken, Revelation six twelve, and you have the sun, moon, and stars. You have some sort of cosmic sign. I've written in my Bible, this is the sign of the day of the Lord. Now, just to remind you, Joel 2, I think it's 2.11 and into chapter 3, said that the sun and the moon and the stars, there will be this cosmic disturbance. The natural lights will go out, if you will, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So this will be the sign that God is about to judge. And simply put, the natural lights go out and God is about to judge. Now, what I've tried to put before you for your strong consideration is there is a difference between tribulation and wrath. The word tribulation, for those of you who are really good students, you've already written it down several times, is flipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. It's the Greek word translated tribulation, trouble, or persecution. So when you hear tribulation, don't immediately assume or think that the tribulation is God's wrath. I've tried to show you that I don't believe God's wrath has come yet. And I have made that case because I believe that the fifth seal being martyrs, people who will not recant in the face of great pressure, they hold to their faith, cannot be the wrath of God. I believe the sign that you've just saw in Revelation 6, 12, is indicating that his wrath is about to come. If you flip over, just to give you the helicopter view, really quick, to Revelation 8, 1, that's when you see the seventh seal broken. That'll be for our next study. You'll see an anticipatory silence. Look at Revelation 8, 1, in heaven for about the space of a half an hour. We'll go to Zephaniah and take a look at that and ponder what that means. And then the seventh seal, uh, when it is broken, I believe that's when your wrath begins. So the wrath of God has not come yet. So two things happen in Revelation 7, just so we're all clear. The sealing of the 144,000 for ownership and protection, and then this great multitude that appears in the sky. The church is not 
appointed to wrath. Amen? You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Is indicating that his wrath is about to come. If you flip over, just to give you the helicopter view, really quick to Revelation 8.1, that's when you see the seventh seal broken. That'll be for our next study. You'll see an anticipatory silence. Look at Revelation 8.1. In heaven for about the space of a half an hour. We'll go to Zephaniah and take a look at that and ponder what that means. And then the seventh seal, uh, when it is broken, I believe that's when your wrath begins. So the wrath of God has not come yet. So two things happen in Revelation 7, just so we're all clear. The sealing of the 144,000 for ownership and protection. And then this great multitude that appears in the sky. The church is not appointed to wrath. Amen? Amen? We'll see that as we look at a parallel scripture tonight. So I don't believe the wrath has started. I believe Revelation 7 is the sealing of the 144,000 and the rapture of the church. That's my view. I've let you, you know, kind of ponder that and consider that and weigh the scriptural evidence for that. Of course, many of you are realizing that if, it, if that is the case, that the church will go through much of Daniel's 70th week. We won't go through wrath, but we will experience tribulation. And that is something that the church has experienced for 2,000 years. So it shouldn't shock us, right? Now, I have mentioned to you, if I had a vote, if my vote counted for anything, and it doesn't, (laughs) I would vote for a pre-tribulation rapture because I have no martyr's complex. In fact, I don't even like when I cut my finger with a paper cut. (laughs) However, the church has always faced tribulation. America has been a unique place and we are blessed to live here. But the church in America is experiencing an ever-tightening grip from the moral code of the world that is slipping into the abyss. And I'm sure if you've been paying any attention at all, you can see uh, the way the world is going. So we've looked at the 144,000. Now we look at this great multitude. Two markers uh, after this, Revelation 7, 1, after this is that sixth seal. 
then that's, there's the ceiling. That's Revelation 7.1. And another time marker, I would argue, is after these things, which is Revelation 7.9. So it seems to be chronological. That's the way I see it. After these things I looked, Revelation 7.9, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count. It's a number that you can't even really enumerate. This great multitude is from every nation, all tribes, and peoples, and tongues. Just uh, to backtrack for a second, for those of you who have been wrestling with the idea of preterism, and preterism is that the book of Revelation was fulfilled in the past at the fall of Jerusalem, I find it hard to square that view with what we just read. Here's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Every means every. So that means that there's people from everywhere that have been saved that end up in the throne room during or in between the six and seven seals. Everybody with me? How can you have worldwide evangelism happening yet? I mean, we're, we're talking the end of the first century. We're talking about AD 95, right? So I think that that is a strike against uh, preterism or that all of this happened in the past. Notice these, these people too large to number from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and tongues. They are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hands. Now, if I asked you just a quick survey Palm branches. When do you remember palm branches in the Bible? What would you say? The triumphal entry, John 12. Uh, they cut down the branches of palms and they are waving them as Jesus makes his triumphal entry. Now, of all that we could comment about the people and what their true attitudes were and what they expected of Jesus and, and did they really understand his mission, we'll put that aside for a second. But when they are waving these at his triumphal entry, the, the, the symbol is one of victory. It's one of hope. It's, yes, our king is here. Our Messiah, if you will. Uh, palm branches are also associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles happens in the fall, by the way. We're coming to that time right now. It's one of the fall feasts of Israel. And it's also associated with tabernacles. And the rabbis would call the Feast of Tabernacles a feast of joy celebration, thanksgiving. So again, um, these, these uh, would indicate to me that these people are celebrating. They are in the presence of God. They have palm branches. Notice that they are standing before the throne uh, and before the Lamb. So the, the, before the Father and the Son, and we take it the Holy Spirit because we've seen all three together, of course. Remember in this imagery, this is... Uh, uh, the, this is anthropomorphic terminology. Sorry for the big word. All this means is that this is a way to depict the triunity of God. Don't over-literalize it. There are people who say, you see, this shows a separation between the... Well, the, the Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. We've looked at that as we studied the Trinity at 633. Hopefully you guys were there or go back and uh, listen to that one. It is depicted here to give you an idea. Don't over-literalize it or you can find yourself in some trouble, okay? The, the group that appears here between the six and seven seals is international in scope. There are some that think they are martyrs. Uh, these, sometimes some people categorize these as tribulation saints. 
So this is, this is something to ponder as well. So if they are tribulation saints, so here's one view. The church gets raptured at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. The only people left on the earth are people who are unbelievers, who wouldn't believe, and now they got to face all of these horse, the, the Antichrist, war, famine, and pestilence. There are some that believe this group is a group of people that got saved somewhere during that time. They refused to take the mark of the beast. They took their stand. Here's my question. Who was witnessing to them? <laughs> well, some people say, it's the Bible tract that you left on their desk drawer. It's that gospel tract you put in their lunch bag. I don't know. The other argument is, there's 144,000 Billy Grahams that have been witnessing to everybody. <laughs> They're the 144,000. Okay, I understand the argument, but I don't see any scripture that says the 144,000 are evangelizing. Not one. So I'll just say to you, as you wrestle with your view, and maybe you've heard it laid out this way, and again, I've told you good people disagree. I just happen to have the pulpit tonight. <laughs> I do not see one scripture that says the 144,000 are Jewish Billy Grahams, not one. So that's an argument of inference. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? Here's what I mean. It's inferred because there's got to be some way that all these people get saved. Imagine these people would not follow Christ when things were relatively calm. Now all these people are going to get saved when all hell breaks loose, literally, when the Antichrist possessed by Satan, is doing his dirty work and saying, you can't buy or sell unless you take my mark. And all these people, an uncountable number from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people are going to take their stand in those kinds of dark and troublesome times. These are the kinds of things that I wrestled with when I was wrestling with my view of the end times. And I think we all have to wrestle with it. Remember, I have shared with you, it's only going to really matter to a final generation. The question in Revelation 6.17, which is pertinent to this group and their position before God, take a look. For the great day of their wrath has come or is about to occur. And the question is, who is able to stand? We looked at Malachi 3, uh, verse 2. We looked at Joel 2.11. Who is able to stand? But there is a group that's able to stand. The great multitude is standing before the throne with palm branches in their hand. Who's able to stand? They're able to stand. And the question is, how? Who will be able to stand in that day? Who can endure His coming? Who is able to stand? This is a significant question. It's really a question of salvation. On the day of judgment, when God judges the living and the dead, and all judgment's been given to the Son, Jesus Christ, John 5. Will you stand in that day? You might ask, well, how can one stand in that day? Well, the way is by being in Jesus Christ. This beautiful doxology from the book of Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Verse 25, Jude. To the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority be all, before all time and now and forever. Amen. If you want to answer the question, 
Who will be able to stand before the holy judgment of God? It's the one who is in Jesus Christ. That's the one who can endure his coming, the one actually who will be celebrating his coming. Is that you? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? I pray that you do. And if you don't, just pray, Lord, I want to be able to stand in that day. I don't want to fall under the judgment of my own sin. Thank you, Jesus. Pray it if it's you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to take the wrath of God. You took the fall so that I could stand on that day. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead and I receive you as my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. Hey, if you did that, we'd love to know. And this is the most important decision that you can make. Reach out to us. Let us know, hey, I pray today to make Jesus my King and my Lord and my God. You can do that when you reach out to us at walkintruth.com. Hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Remember that you can purchase the DVD teachings in Revelation on our online store when you visit walkintruth.com, like the one that we're currently broadcasting. If you would like a copy of Revelation 7, the 144,000 and the great multitude, visit walkintruth.com. I'd love to get a copy of this DVD into your hands for your own further study, maybe to pass on to a friend. And you can get it when you go to walkintruth.com. Just check out the products there. You'll see it up there on the store. Now come back tomorrow because we'll be concluding the teaching in Revelation 7, the 144,000 and the great multitude. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you. Remember, to learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, podcast, or to donate, visit walkintruth.com. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.